You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, good morning to all of you. I um, And watching that video in the first service, I realized I kind of misunderstood Pastor Trent because I thought he said if I came to South Bend, the weather would feel like San Diego. And uh, that's not quite what I experienced at the Notre Dame game yesterday. Uh, it was a little bit wet, but a lot of fun. Um, we even tried in the fourth quarter to start chanting, uh, Rudy. But it didn't, it didn't go anywhere, even though it was senior day. But we had a great time. Um, let me just tell you this. I am thrilled to be here because uh, Pastor Trent's one of my best friends in our network of churches. And I want to tell you something. You have a fantastic pastor. You really do. You have a pastor that loves Jesus and loves his word and loves you. And that's why it's an honor for me to come serve in his place at your church. So thank you so much for having my wife and I here. I'll put a picture up on the screen of our family. Um, you can see my oldest is Brooke. She's 10. Uh, our son is TJ. He's eight. And our youngest, L is four years old. And uh, so they're at Grandma and Grandpa's today. We're going to see them a little later this afternoon. I grew up not too far from here in Illinois, so we're going to go back and see them. But I'm excited to preach to you today. If I could pick from a list of topics to preach on, prayer would certainly be a contender for the top one. And I'm so thrilled um, to be able to have this opportunity. So let me just tell you this. Uh, before you get started, you may have notes. You may be a note taker. You may not be a note taker. To me, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever if you remember all five of my points. Okay, what makes a big deal and difference to me is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about what he wants to share with you about prayer and how you can apply that into your life, okay? So with that, let's go before the Lord because I believe the Lord has a word for each and every person that's here uh, today. Let's pray. So Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise for who you are. Lord, I pray that through your living and active word that you would speak clearly to everyone here who wants to hear your voice. And so Lord, we just confess any known sin to you. Lord, if there's anything in our life that we're aware of that is hindering our ability to hear you. We confess it right now because your word says that the blood of Jesus forgives us from all of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, any distractions we bring to the foot of the cross, anything we're thinking about later today, uh, Lord, we want to hear you right now in this moment. So Lord, be clear to us. God, come do a work among us this morning. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And all of God's people who are ready to receive his word in power this morning agreed with me and said, amen, amen. You know, if you study the life of Jesus Christ, I mean, one thing that you would find that was most important to him was the time that he got to spend with his dad. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when Jesus was 12 years old, even, they just got done in Jerusalem. They're heading back on the 60-mile track to Galilee. And on the way back, they start looking for Jesus. And his parents were like, hey, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with your cousins. I th well, where is he? They had to travel all the way back to Jerusalem by foot. And when they got there, they found him where? In the temple. And when they approached him and said, what are you doing? He said, did you not know I needed to be where? In my father's house. We read in Mark's gospel, Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to solitary places where there he prayed. After Jesus fed the 5,000, which really would have been like 20 or 25,000 people on the shores of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, what does he do? He tells his disciples to get in the boat, and what does he go up and do for the most part of the night? He goes up on a mountainside to, to pray. I mean, the night that he's betrayed, what, is he, what do we find him doing? I mean, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he's going to give his life for the sins of the world. And what's he doing there? He's praying. I mean, even on the cross, what's he doing? He's talking to his Dad, I mean, he never stops 
talking to his father. I mean, I find it interesting who's spending all his time praying. I mean, think about this. Would you agree that Jesus had a hotline to his father? I mean, would you agree that being the perfect son of God without sin and being one with the father, and when he says, I only do what I see my father doing, when he says, I and the father are one, wouldn't you agree that when he prays, he was heard and answered? Would you give me that? You ever wonder why then, the night that he selected his disciples, he stayed up all night long and prayed? You ever think about that? I mean, was he praying all night like, Father, please show me who they are? I don't think so. I think in the first minute, God said, these 12 right here. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? These 12? And then he stayed up all night and prayed for them. And I think the scripture would support that because even on the night he's betrayed, he tells Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But what? I have prayed for you that when you are restored, you'll be of help to your brothers. I mean, he was constantly praying for his disciples. Wouldn't you agree that if it was that important to the son of God, that it should be important to us? Now, prayer is a lot easier to talk about its importance than to actually do. And there's a reason for it. It's because the enemy doesn't want you to do one thing, and that's spend time with your heavenly father. If you don't believe me, set a time tomorrow that you're going to spend time with the Lord or set a time later this afternoon and say, no matter what happens, this is my time with Jesus and watch how many distractions get in your way. Just it's a it's an application to the sermon. Give it a try. Because God wants you to spend time with him. God wants you to come with him. And what I find really interesting when I read the New Testament and I study the life of Jesus Christ and I see the miracles that he performed, like recovery of sight to the blind, like healing all sorts of diseases that doctors couldn't heal, forgiving sins, casting out demons. Heck, he even raised people from the, the dead. That the only thing we have recorded in the entire scriptures are what? Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, the disciples knew from spending the three years they spent with Jesus, if there's one thing we need to get, if there's one place he's receiving his power, if there's something we need to grasp while we got time with this guy, it's how do we pray like you pray? And if you study the New Testament, that should be the question we ask too. Because even when you read the apostles and like the apostle Paul, you read about Epaphras or Epaphroditus, or you read about any of these guys that helped establish churches, what do you read about? We've been wrestling in prayer. We've been up all night in prayer. I mean, in the book of Acts, when there's a jailbreak, what have they been doing? They're praying. I mean, prayer is just so essential to the New Testament. And yet what I find in the North American church is even though we have it as a pillar in our church, in Harvest Churches, believing firmly in the power of prayer, it's probably the least participated in pillar of any of them. And many of us think prayer is something we subcontract out to somebody else in the church that's one of those, come on, say it with me, a prayer warrior. That's a specific group of people, genuinely old, genu- generally people that are older, generally women, who we think have nothing better to do, and it's their job to pray so that we can do the work of ministry. Can I tell you there's nothing further from the truth? I mean, the disciples wanted to know how to pray. If you want to know how to pray, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. And in the greatest sermon ever preached, we call it the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives when he preached it. Jesus began to teach them how to pray. Now, he just got done telling people how to give. He doesn't say if you want to give. He says when you give, here's how you do it. Don't do it blowing trumpets so everybody sees you. He's going to come out of this part saying, and when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, don't do it with a gloomy look on your face so that everybody thinks that you're spiritual. And he's just gotten done right before he's going to talk about prayer, not if you pray, but when you pray. He says, don't do it with a bunch of flowery language. Don't do it with a bunch of repetitive words. Don't do it just to be seen by other people. But hey, you know what? 
Why don't you go into a place that's unseen and your father who sees what you're doing will reward you. And then he says this, pray then like this. In Matthew 6, verse 9, you'll, you'll recall these words. Let me, let me start reading them to you and then we'll unpack this together. He says, pray then like this. Like this is how you pray. This is how you do this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, when we read this, we call this the Lord's Prayer, right? Because it's the Lord that's teaching it. But, but truly, I think a better definition of this, the Lord's Prayer is really John 17, where he's praying his high priestly prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. That's what he's been doing all throughout the Sermon on the Mount is teaching kingdom citizens and followers of Jesus. This is what you do. This is how you pray. In Luke chapter 11, we see the same verses printed out for us in scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. I mean, this is one of the most often prayed prayers, regardless of church, regardless of denomination. Heck, at the Notre Dame game yesterday, up on the jumbotron before the team came out, what do you think they did? They were kneeling and praying the Lord's Prayer, right? Now I'm going to teach you what God wanted them to be doing when they were praying the Lord's Prayer. What are they doing? What does it mean? Now I have five points that Jesus wants to point out to us to understand how to pray like this. And the first he says is this, begin with worship. When you pray, begin with worship. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now isn't it really interesting when you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when he becomes the Lord of your life, do you know what that means? That means you get to share the same father Jesus shares. It means if you share Father, Jesus, father God and I share Father God, it makes us all brothers and sisters in Christ because we all share the same father. And we can talk to him as father. Isn't it interesting we don't have to go to God with all his credentials? We can. We can certainly ascribe to him everything that's good. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But father, it's such an intimate term. And when I say intimate, especially guys, when you hear the word intimate, you're like, oh, here's an intimacy word. I'm scared of that word. I'm not talking about like intimacy, like heart. I'm talking about this, like relational quality that's so good, I can just communicate with you anytime I want. Like when my kids come to me, I promise you, they don't say, Pastor Jeff, I need to sit down with you. Right? <laughs> that's not how my kids talk to me. Right? They're like, daddy, here's what I need. Daddy. Here's what I want for Christmas. Hey, Daddy, here's what happened. They just tell me stuff. Jesus is teaching his disciples that that's part of worship is just communicating with God in a relational way. And if you study the life of Jesus in the New Testament, that's how he always prays to his dad. He always prays his father, except when he's on the cross. It's really the only time we see. You know how he prays? At that point in time, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because God the Father had put all the sin of humanity on him and was punishing him for our sin. Up until then, what does he refer to God as? Dad. Dad. There should be such a relational quality. I mean, that's part of worship. As we ascribe to God who he is, there should be this relational quality to our worship, right? Worship him. Be intimate with him. Intimate means I know him. The more you know his word and the more you know of his character, the more you'll do it. And intimacy goes hand in glove with reverence. That would be the other word I'd tell you. Reverence is honor. It's hallowed or holy be your name. God is nothing like us. We live in a day that we tend to be like Jesus is my friend and he is. Jesus said in John 15, I have called you friends. He's our friend. 
but we forget sometimes because the pendulum swings so far on the friendship side that we almost make it like Jesus is my homeboy. I mean, me and Jesus, we're cool. We kind of hang out and Jesus is relational, but guess what? He's nothing like us. He's holy. He's completely holy. Now, when I think about worship, I mean, I, know about, I don't know about you, but sometimes in church, when we think about worship, we think about what? We think about singing songs, right? We think about playing guitar. We think about singing, you know? I'm not as gifted as Micah in worship. Like, that's why I didn't lead off the service today, right? I didn't play guitar. I didn't sing for you. That's not my gift. And so many of you be there like, I'm not really into that whole worship thing. Oh, yes, you are. You were created to worship. And your heart is designed to worship. And the more relational you are with God and the more you understand of his holiness and how he would still love you in spite of, that's called worship. And here's how you can worship. You can worship with this book in your hand called the the word of God. I mean, there are so many scriptures. Like Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. You think you can handle your problem? Right? I mean, when I start thinking about Psalm 24, I think about how awesome our God is, how he's in control of everything. When I think of Colossians 1 and how all things were made by him and for him, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, I start thinking, my problems aren't that big. And God, I just want to worship you that everything I see, that you created me and you created every person I'm around and all the things going on in the world, they're not too hard for you because you're sovereign over all of them and you rule and you reign. And I just want to let you know that I worship you. Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Lord, while you're ruling the whole universe and while you're sovereign in all things, I know this, you have my back. Psalm 23 says, goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I praise you for that. I mean, there's nowhere you can go in this book where you can't start celebrating the goodness and the glory and the honor of God. And that's what it means to worship him. Now, why do we want to start there? Why do you think Jesus would say, pray like this? He's just got done saying, don't just give rote prayers, which means don't just memorize this and spit it back to me. He's saying, pray like this and starting with worship. Here's why I believe he tells us to do that. Because it's so easy to make prayer requests, isn't it? Hey, God, help me with this. God, if you get me through this test, I promise you from now on, I promise I'll do this. God, if you get me through this difficult situation at work, I promise you from now on. God, if you get me through what's going on in my marriage, I promise you. God, if you can just help me with my kid, then I promise you. And we start there rather than starting by giving him all the glory and honor that he's due and having intimate relationship with him. Because let me tell you something. The purpose of prayer is not getting your answers answered. The purpose of prayer is growing in your love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's having oneness with him. That's why Jesus spent time with his father. Even when he got the answer in the garden, no, I'm not doing that. You're going to the cross. Still loved his dad all the way to the end. I mean, can you love God even when you don't get the answers that you want? That's why we start with worship. It puts our heart in a right place. And I don't know about you. um, I don't know what challenges you're facing. Perhaps you're not facing any right now. If you're not, keep breathing. You will, right? I mean, it's just gonna happen. We don't know what they're gonna be. We know they're just gonna come. And when we go through those things, it's the worship of God in our times of prayer that help us endure and get through those times. It's having a relationship with the God of the universe that genuinely cares for each and every one of you and genuinely loves each and every one of you. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. What's your name? It's not just a name. Like, my name's Jeff. It's not just a name. It's, it's the reputation of your name. 
May your name be holy. May your reputation be made well by who I am in you. And in the way I seek you, may people see me and give your name honor and reverence by how I live for you, no matter what my life calling might be. So he's saying, that's what worship is. Worship is living for God in such an unadulterated way, in such a pure way that when people see you, they give praise to your father who's in heaven as they see the light of God shine through your life. That's where we start in prayer. We start with worship. That's why I like starting services like we did today by singing songs with worship. Then what are we called to do? I'll give you this. Then we're called to align our heart with God's agenda. Once you're worshiping him, then align your heart with God's agenda. Align your heart with what he wants you to do. It says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we still talking about? We're talking about what God's agenda is. Who's the king of the universe? Let me just tell you, it's Jesus. Jesus, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means this, whether you know it or not, I mean, how many believe that Jesus Christ is coming back fully bodily and physically? Okay, 14 of you believe that. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Just in case you don't know, very soon in a city near you, Jesus Christ is coming back in all of his glory to establish his millennial reign on this planet. I'm telling you, he's coming. Now, we can get debates as to when and how and 100% of the time we're going to be wrong, but I'm going to tell you this. He is coming back. And what we're praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer is we'd like it to be today. Lord, let your kingdom come. We're wanting you to come. There's nothing on my agenda, Jesus, that's more important than your return to planet Earth. There's nothing. Like later today, I'm going to go see my 102 and a half year old grandmother. I'm pretty excited about that. Can't wait to see her. But if today is the day that Jesus is coming back, I'm happy to postpone all my plans to spend time with Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? So Jesus, let your kingdom come. But while you tarry here, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means this, Lord, as I'm worshiping you and I'm growing in my intimacy with you and I'm reverencing you, I want what you want, which is when you come back and rule on this world, that's what I'm looking forward to. And until you get here, Jesus, I want to live my life in such a way that when you arrive, there's nothing I need to change in my life. I mean, here's the question. If you knew for a fact Jesus was coming back today at three o'clock, would there be anything you'd want to change before you met him? Your answer should be no. Your answer should be no. I'm living just the way Jesus wants me to live in this moment. And if he came back right now, I'm good with that. That's what it means. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means, God, my heart is aligned to worship you. And God, my desire is to give my best to you. And so, Lord, everything in my life, make sure it's rightly related to you so that when I see you, I will hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's how we're praying. See, that's why we start by worshiping the Lord. That's why we start by aligning our heart with his, because then it changes our prayer request a little bit, doesn't it? See, if our prayer is, God, I want to worship you and I want your name to be made holy and I want your name to be made right and I want to live my life in such a way that people see your kingdom in and through me, then I can get to the third place, which is my prayer request, which is this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what in the world does that mean? Because for most people in the West, and I'm not talking like the West of the United States, I'm talking about Westerners, like those of us that live in the West, most of you, most of you aren't concerned that you're going to be able to eat lunch today. I mean, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us are like, I'm going to be pretty cool. And if I'm not, I'm going to run to the grocery store or restaurant. We'll be fine. So what does it mean? And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What's he saying? He's saying when your heart is worshiping God, 
When your heart is to make his name famous, when your heart is to align your agenda with his, it gives you a chance to ask prayer requests in the right way. It means ask God for what you need to accomplish his purposes. See, my prayer requests then become, Lord, here's what I need from you in order to accomplish what you're trying to get done in and through me. It doesn't mean that I can just ask whatever I want and God will do it. That's why people get troubled with the scriptures. I mean, think about some of these scriptures. See if you've ever heard these before. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says these words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Everybody's cool with it so far, right? Watch this part. And it will be done for you. You cool with that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus said, now, if I took that out of your Bible, you would get so mad at me. Be like, he doesn't even believe the Bible anymore. But do you believe it? Like when you pray, do you really believe that Jesus is going to do what you ask him for? I mean, or how about words like this? In Matthew chapter 21, verses 22 and following, he says, um, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Do you believe that? Now, I live in a region where I see the mountains every single day. Like, does it mean that if I look at Pike's Peak, when I get up in the morning and say, hey, I, I kind of want you to go where Long's Peak is up in Boulder, and I'd like Long's Peak to move down there. Is that going to happen because I'm a Christian? So I don't think that's what it means. See, I think all these promises in prayer stem from the fact that I'm worshiping God, that I want what he wants, that it's about his holiness, that it's about me aligning my life with his agenda, and I start praying for the things that he wants to do in and through me. And when I'm aligned with what those things are, 100% of the time, God answers those prayers. Now, I know you're already pushing back. You don't believe me. You're saying, listen, I prayed for my sick grandma to live and she died. Right? I mean, isn't that what you're saying? See, I can handle God's nose. Isaiah 55 says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. And God has a plan for us even on things that we don't understand. It doesn't mean that when we pray all our desires and everything we want, that everything already goes our way every single time. Christian, don't get discouraged because you pray. We are called to pray and not give up. It doesn't mean that everything you pray will be answered in the way that you want it. But I will tell you this, if you pray and you want God's glory to be done, even if it doesn't go your way, God will do a great work in your heart in the process. In the garden, didn't Jesus pray that it could be done another way? I mean, wasn't Jesus telling his dad, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die for the sin of humanity. I don't want to have the sin separate me and you for the first time in eternity. I don't want that. What did God say? Yeah, but that's what I want you to do. Okay, God. Okay, dad. Then I'll do what you want to do. Not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus went against his own will to align his will with the father to do what God wanted him to do. And when he died on the cross, did it make any sense? Seemed like a pretty dark day. Uh, but three days later, when he got up out of the grave and started offering life to all who called upon his name, wasn't that the most glorious event that's ever happened in the history of the world? I mean, just because things don't go your way and just because you don't understand them doesn't mean God's not at work in your situation. That's what I want to tell you. Right? Align it with God's heart. But Christians, so often when we pray, here's how we pray. I've been in meetings like this. And, and I don't want to offend anybody when I tell you this. But usually we add a tagline like this. If it's your will. 
Because what we're really saying is, Lord, it feels a little bit audacious to actually pray for this. And I'm not really expecting you to do it. And I know you could, but you probably won't. So I'll just add the if your will part on the end of it in hopes that maybe you'll do something for me. See, I just pray. If you're sick and you come up here, I'll pray for your health. Because I can handle God's nose. If you're lost, I don't pray if it's God's will for you to be saved because I already know it's God's will for you to be saved. So I'm just going to pray for you to meet Jesus. Right? I can handle whatever God chooses because he's sovereign because I've already worshiped him. And if it doesn't go my way, I'm okay with him saying, not yet. No, slow. I'm, I'm okay with that. But so many times we as Christians do not bombard the throne with the very things God's asking us to do because we're afraid to come before him. When There's all sorts of scriptures throughout the Bible. Come to me. All of you who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come. Ephesians 3 says, come with freedom and confidence and boldness. I mean, just come. You can ask whatever you want, right? But so often we don't. Now, when I was a youth pastor, when I was 24 ages ago, 24, like ages ago, um, I remember I was in this church and there was this group of older ladies that would pray on Wednesday nights. It was a small church. The church was about 100 people. And they prayed on Wednesday nights and they invited me to come. And they kept inviting me to come. And one night I'm like, I'll just go. And these four or five women would sit around in chairs up in the front of the church and they would pray. But when I heard these women pray, they would pray like things that they were praying were actually going to happen. Surprise, surprise. And so they would ask me, hey, what do you want prayer for? Well, we had four kids in our youth group. I'm like, how about you pray that like some kids actually come? Guess what happened? Kids started coming. They said, hey, what can we pray for this week? Pray that kids would get saved. Guess what happened? Kids got saved. Guess what happened then? The parents of those kids got mad. So I'd be back in prayer meeting. They'd say, what can we pray for now? I'm like, pray that the kids' parents don't get mad at me and that they get saved. Guess what started happening? The parents of those kids would get saved. And I, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm like, man, this prayer thing is kind of working. <laughs> and these were the women in our church. They were known as prayer warriors. I mean, they were really old women. I mean, they were like in their 40s or something. And they, <laughs> they gathered and prayed and all this stuff. And I remember one time, you know, it changed my heart because... My kids in my youth group, they, they wanted to do this dance. It was in the 90s. They wanted to do like a barn dance and decorate this shed and invite all their non-Christian friends and have this dance with line dancing lessons and then invite all these kids to church and share the gospel. And I was like, sure, we can do that. And so the youth group had grown. Now I got like 60 kids decorating for this thing and it's incredible. And these kids said to me this, hey, we need bales of hay. I said, for what? They said, you know, to sit on and decorate and all this kind of stuff. I said, okay, cool. I'll start looking. Our annual youth ministry budget was $500. So I started calling around all the farmers outside of Chicago and I was like, hey, how much is it for bales of hay? And it was three to five dollars a barrel. You know, we need 200. So I started doing the math. I'm like, I'm not going to spend our entire youth ministry budget on bales of hay. I mean, I knew that. And so I just told the kids, hey, let's do this. Let's just pray. So every day for a period of a couple months, you know what I did every day? I prayed for hay. And I would pray like this, like, Lord, I know it sounds really stupid, but I just need bales of hay. Would you be willing to give us bales of hay for this dance? Uh, Lord, we're just trying to bring non-Christian kids in. We're trying to do this stuff. And I'd just pray for hay. And I'd pray for hay. It came to the day before the dance. You know, kids are out in the shed. They decorate this whole thing. It looks awesome. The guy that allowed us to borrow his shed came up to me and he said, man, your kids love Jesus. And it's so cool to watch them gathering around, praying in this shed to see people come to Christ. And I said, hey, thanks for letting us do this. I said, you know what? The only thing is it would have been cool if we would have had bales of hay. And he said, well, how many do you need? And I'm like, I don't know. They told me like 100 to 200. He's like, wait right here. He went inside. He made a phone call. He came back. He said, get eight of your kids and follow me. We went out behind the shed. There was a flatbed trailer. He owned a, he owned a trucking business, uh, a towing business. Never have been more excited to see a tow truck, tow truck driver. And um, he said, come with me. He drove a mile and a half down the road to this barn. 
He said, this is my friend's barn. You can have as much hay as you want. If you break a barrel, it's a buck. Otherwise, I'll bring them all back and I'll do it myself. And he opened this barn and there were thousands of bales of hay a mile and a half from the dance that we were having. You know what I thought? If God cares that much about hay in the middle of nowhere for a high school dance so that people will come to Christ, how much more does he care about everything else? I pray about everything, y'all. I pray about before I come in here, I pray for each one of you. I pray that God would do something. I pray God would save people. I pray God would invest in your heart so you'd seek his face. Why? Because God wants to answer prayer. It's changed my life. When we moved out to Denver, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. We moved out to Denver. I didn't know anybody. The only person I knew was my buddy who, when I got there, found out he was having challenges in his marriage, was about ready to get divorced, who at our first launch team meeting, okay, this is my guy I've known for 30 years, first launch team meeting, he comes off the golf course. It's at four in the afternoon. I can tell he's been drinking all afternoon. He's kind of smells like alcohol, reeks of alcohol. We're trying to do this church thing, you know, and he's putting his arm around me. He's like, I know this church is going to be great. Jeff's a good speaker. You know, I'm like, this is crazy. And I remember going back to my apartment that night when we had moved out there. I'm like, okay, how do you tell your friend of 30 years, don't come drunk to church. It's really hurting our influence. All right. You know, we did, we prayed for him and just kept praying. I prayed for him before I even got there. Do you know, in our first service, when we launched on November 7, 2010, guess who was there and got saved in our very first service? Guess who I got to baptize? Guess whose kids I got to baptize? Guess how I've watched God put their whole family back together? Is that what God does? That's what God does. We pray. When we pray his will, God does incredible things. So it really challenged me because about four years ago, we needed to find a building. We were meeting in a high school, which was fine. I was totally fine meeting in a high school. I mean, there's something cool about pulling trailers and getting everybody together and having a team. I kind of liked it. And, uh, but we needed a space. We needed a building. And in our area of the city where we live, it's over a million dollars just to get an acre of dirt. Our annual budget was like 800,000 and we only had 400 people come into our church. So I'm like, how, how are we, we going to do this? And so we guess we did. We prayed. I heard about a church across the street that was kind of renting out to different people. So I met, went and met the owner. And uh, the first time I went and met him was actually a year before that. And when I went and met him, he's like, so pastor, he goes, how many people come to your church? The highest number we had ever had was 251. And I said, yeah, we're about 300 because I'd done evangelism before. So I knew how to inflate numbers. And... Um, <laughs> And he's like, what do you have next? You're like 331, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. He goes, do you even know how much a building like this costs? I'm like, you can tell me. I said, it doesn't even matter because we don't have any money. You know, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm looking to sell this for eight and a half million dollars. And uh, I'm like, okay, we'll sell it to us. And I remember leaving that day and I said, God, I know this is what you have for us. So I'm just going to pray. If this is our building, don't give it to anybody else. But if this is not for us, don't even let me covet a blade of grass on the property. So guess what we did? We just went back and started praying. Now, as this thing came down the pipe, there were three other people bidding on this building. All of them had way more resources than we did. As a matter of fact, I sent a financial team back to them one time. And when my friends came back, I said, how's it looking? And, and my one friend, he goes, let me just speak your language because you don't understand finances so well. But here's what it's like. Um, there's four girls at the dance and we're the ugliest girl by far. That's what he said. And I said, so if we get it, it's God. He goes, there's no doubt it's God. He goes, there's no way I would sell to us. And I'm like, okay, good. And so as we're doing this, we keep praying and we keep praying. Well, two of the groups that were supposed to pay for it, they couldn't come up with the money, which was interesting because one of the members of their congregation is the richest guy in all of Colorado who could have paid for it with anything he wanted. And then there was another group. And by the time we got down to this other group, there was another group that came in. They were offering the building for eight and a half million. And this guy came in and said, I'll write you a check right now for $10 million. And the guy that was selling the building said, you know, I just don't feel right about that. My wife started hearing Jeff on the radio. He goes, I want to do this for the kingdom. He goes, we're not going to sell it to you. We're going to sell it to Harvest. 
Now, here's what he told me. He's like, you can't tell your congregation until I tell you that you can buy it because we got all these other people bidding on it. So come October 1st, if I don't have the money, you can tell your congregation. But I got to let you know, come October 15th, I need $1.73 million to pay off something at the bank so that you can have that. I said, time out. I said, I can't tell our congregation until two weeks before, and then I, we got to come up with $1.73 million. He's like, yeah, you said you wanted the building. I'm like, okay, no problem. We got it. And I left. <laughs> And I went and I started doing what? We started praying. I got our elders together and prayed and said, I prayed and we prayed and we prayed. So sure enough, October 1st, he calls me, says, you can do this. We send out a video. And prior to, he said, you can't tell people numbers. You can't tell people what the building is. And so we took James McDonald's vertical church book because there's a little blurb in there about how they raised $300,000 in a 40-day period. And I said, I, I told our congregation that. I said, now that was a really big deal. I said, multiply that by six and let's do it in a week, you know, because I can't give you specific numbers, but if you can do any math. And so sure enough, <laughs> on October about... That Sunday, it was October 6th, I stood up in front of our congregation and said, hey, we have one week to raise $1.73 million. I put out my biggest case and why we needed to do it and cast vision and all this kind of stuff. And I tell you, I was like so fired up. Like, we're going to do this until I finished preaching. And then I got in my car and drove home and I'm like, what in the world are you doing? You're going to miss this by a country mile. You're going to lose your whole church. People are going to leave. And I was getting calls like this. Hey, pastor, like, we'll give, but like, if we don't get it, are you going to give us our money back? And I was like, no, we're not giving to a building. We're giving to God, and so we're going to store it up. And just be as generous as you can. And I'd rather have your $1 gift than your million-dollar pledge because we need it this week. And we were supposed to meet it Saturday night at that building to collect all the money, and I didn't know how it was going to happen. And I'm, every day I'm getting more and more nervous. And so I started praying, and one day on Thursday I was reading through Psalm 27. And God just met me in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know how that chapter ends in verse 13 and 14? It says this, I would have despaired if I had not believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, take heart, be of good courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. You know what the Lord spoke to me through that on that Thursday? I was crying in my office because I'm like, we're going to lose our whole church. And God said, Jeff, you're forgetting this. I'm showing up and it is finished. And then I cried even harder because I'm like, it's ours. And so that Saturday night, we gathered. There were people I've never seen since that came to that meeting. We put all the money up in the front. Kids were bringing babysitting money and change and dropping it up front and doing all this. And that next day, we were going to give the big reveal. And I told our elders, I said, listen, if we're going to miss this, like by a long shot, call me so we can kind of massage something and make it sound good. And I remember getting a text from them at about 10 o'clock, and they're like, go to bed. Cool. So we needed $1.73 million. The next day I showed up at church and they revealed the thing. We raised $1.93 million in six days and God bought us that building. Isn't that awesome? That's worthy of applause to our God. I mean, let me tell you why I tell you that story. Because God's doing awesome things in Granger, isn't he? I mean, I love seeing your church. I love hearing your testimony. I mean, that's awesome. Just awesome. God's saving worship leaders. How awesome is that? God giving you a heart for him. God's changing your church. God wants to change your city. God wants to change what you're doing here. What are you asking him for? What's he desiring to get through this church? He wants to do the same thing, right? He wants to bless his church. If there's anything he cares about in Granger, it's his glory, right? It's his church. Pray, pray. Ask God for what you need to accomplish his purposes and then just leave it with him. Jesus goes on to say, number four, here's one reason why sometimes our prayers don't get answered. He says this, forgive others in the same way that Christ forgave you. Forgive others in the same way that Christ forgave you. And we forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
right? Can you forgive other people? See, unforgiveness hinders the work of God in your life. Why? Because the whole bedrock of Christianity is based upon the forgiveness of God. I can never forgive him. He doesn't deserve it. I can never forgive her. She doesn't deserve it. They wronged me so bad. They don't deserve it. That's why you forgive them. If they deserve it, you don't need to, right? I mean, you think about salvation and what Jesus was painting a picture of is what the gospel was going to look like when he laid down his life on a cross. There's none of you here that are good. No, not one. I mean, there's none of you here that God is saying, oh, you're awesome. I mean, Jesus had to die for everybody but you. You're pretty cool. I mean, every single one of us, Jesus laid down his life while we didn't deserve it. And he modeled what that looked like so that we could then model it for others. Notice what it goes on to say in the verses after this scripture in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And people that are evangelical like you and me read those and get a little bit troubled like time out. Pastor Trent told us that if we trusted in Jesus, we're saved. And I want to tell you, Pastor Trent told you right. Because that's what the word of God reveals. What this is talking about is a quality disciple and what a kingdom citizen looks like. And if you can't forgive another person, you are demonstrating that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life like you say he is. Because every Christian should be free to forgive because of everything God's done for them. That's what it means. Now you might say, well, I don't have unforgiveness in my heart. Most people, if I ask you a a question and said, hey, how many of you have any unforgiveness in your heart? Nobody's going to raise their hand, especially in church. No, I forgave them. I mean, I don't like them, but I forgave them, right? How do you know if you have unforgiveness in your heart? Let me give you three buzzwords that I hear all the time when I know there's unforgiveness in somebody's heart. First one is this, hurt. That person's name comes up, that person's presence walks into the room, and here's what you feel. I mean, I'm hurt by them. It's hurt. It's a consistent hurt. Because when you forgive, you release the hurt to God. Or I'm bothered bothered by them. People really knew who they were. People saw what they did. bothered by them. Or I'm irritated. Just get me as far away from that person. I'm praying for them on the mission field that they go to India, but I am done with them. <laughs> right? I'm irritated. Right? If you have bother and hurt and irritation towards somebody, it's probably a sign and a symptom that you haven't released them to the Lord. And that's what forgiveness is. See, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I mean, you forgive not for their sake. You forgive for your sake. It really means I'm releasing them to the Lord. That's what it means. When I was a youth pastor, we used to do those ungodly things called um, lock-ins. You ever heard of those? (laughs) Unbelievable. Where you stay up all night and try to play games and stay awake and do all those. Hated those, even when I was younger. And so what we would do is like four in the morning, you know what happens? And people start getting tired and the boys and the girls kind of want to cozy together. And so you don't want that. And so you try to have more activity. And so we do like these big tug of war things. We take on other youth groups. I remember we had this kid in my youth group. He was huge. I mean, he was huge. And so what we would do is we would tie the rope around him and then he would start falling backwards and we would win all the time, right? <laughs> and one time we got down to the finals and we, were, we all huddled up before and we were all fired up. And it's like 4.30 in the morning or some time like that. And he says this in the meeting. He's like, hey, listen, who cares? He goes, I'm going to wrap it around me. He goes, you guys pull on it really hard and you guys hold on it really hard and you do whatever you can. But when they blow the whistle, just everybody let go and I'll untie myself. He's like, it's going to be a blast. Trust me. So that's what we did. So we went out and they, he tied the rope around himself and you know, we're, we're, we're doing all this stuff and nobody can see behind that he's untied all the ropes. And when they counted down one, two, three, all of us did this. Now, 25 years later, I can still see the faces of all the people on the other team. (laughs) 
very fast backpedal. Nobody was able to stand. Now, the judges said they won, but I'm telling you, they weren't the ones that were celebrating. It was us. <laughs> That's what forgiveness is. When you let it go and you give it to God, then you can stand in confidence before him through the blood of Jesus that they're yours. And Jesus, thanks for forgiving me in a way that I could forgive them. Unforgiveness hinders answered prayer. If you have somebody you need to make it right, make it right. Make it right first with the Lord. Because sometimes um, unforgiveness doesn't mean going up to somebody and saying, you know, I hate you and I've always hated you, but I want you to know today after hearing the message, I forgive you. That's not what God has. You forgive it to God before. If God has you go talk to them, it won't be something you want to do. It'll just be out of obedience that he has you do it. But forgive others in the same way that Christ forgave you. You can write down this verse. It's Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another tender-hearted towards one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's what he wants. And then notice this last thing. I mean, if you're really gonna worship the Lord and you're really gonna honor his name and you're really gonna live for his kingdom and you're really gonna ask according to what he wants to get done through you and you're gonna be the kind of person that forgives each other, here's what you need to do, number five. I mean, it's really important for you, that you armor up for the battle that you are now in that you armor up for the battle that you are now in. Here's how Jesus says to pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Um, let me tell you something. When you desire to give your life to Christ and when you desire to live for him, there will always be opposition. Always. Uh, like I told you, if you don't believe me, set a time to pray and read your Bible. See how many distractions you have. If you don't believe me, um, Honor the Lord with whatever vocation that you have. I mean, just start speaking about how awesome Jesus is in that vocation and just see how much opposition there is to what you say. I mean, you cannot be a kingdom citizen and live for Jesus and not have opposition. It, it's not strange when opposition comes. It's the normative experience for all Christians around the world. So you have to armor up. I mean, that's why the Bible goes into great detail, like in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and following, about put on the full armor of God. What's the full armor? I mean, we can go into all the different pieces, but it's Jesus. <laughs> it's the belt of truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. And upon all things, what? Pray. 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 Pray for protection. Not pray, Lord, as I'm running away from your kingdom and I'm running away from what you want to do and I'm running away, protect me. No, Lord, as I'm advancing your kingdom, as, in I'm, as I'm standing firm and as I'm going your way, Lord, do your will in my life. And when I read through the New Testament and read like about guys with names I can't really pronounce, like Epaphroditus and Epaphras and the Apostle Paul and all these different people, what do you find them doing? They're all praying. They're praying not only for the lost, they're praying for the saints. They're praying that God would do a work through them. And what do you see in the book of Acts? You see this group gathering and seeking the Lord in prayer, doing this very thing. Then the Spirit of God fills them up. Then they speak the word boldly. And what happens? Miraculous things they can't even explain. Do you know the same is the power in the church today? Like, it's great that we have the technology we have with microphones and screens and uh, worship music and all that, but do you know that God can get his work done without that? Do you know when there's a group of people that believe that his spirit is that powerful, that will seek him, that trust him, that want God to do what he wants to do, that he can do far more than we could ever dare ask or imagine according to his glorious power that is at work within us? I mean, there's no other faith that even dares make the claim that their God dwells in them. None. Yeah, you'll never meet someone that is... Islamic that says, you know, Allah lives in me. They'll even tell you they've never even talked to him. They'll even tell you if they die, they hope Allah takes them, right? I mean, you won't meet anybody that's a Buddhist that will tell you that Buddha lives inside of them. I mean, he wouldn't even fit, 
right? I mean, <laughs> or Confucius. I mean, here's what we're saying. We're saying that when we confess Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He's in us. He goes with us. He's the one that's trying to do these things. And the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. And the Holy Spirit cries out with groans that words cannot express. He's praying for us. And God the Father loves us. And when you approach him with reverence and you approach him with honor and you approach him to do his will, there's an answer that's automatic from a father that comes. I mean, even from an earthly example, can you think about it? Like if my kids came to me and said, Dad... I just want to honor you as my dad. You're a great dad. And I know you said to clean my room and I just want to do it and make you feel really good. Dad, could you get me a dust rag and some cleaning supplies so that I could honor you with that? I would get them a dust rag and cleaning supplies as quick as I could, right? I mean, when you're worshiping and honoring the Lord, saying, Lord, if you can use me and if you can do what I want to do, what you want to do through me, Lord, I'm just asking, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever it is you want. God will amply supply all your needs. And oh, just by the way, a couple quick things. God sometimes gives you a lot of wants too because all good fathers do that. Don't believe in the poverty God that says, God will only meet your needs, but not your wants. I'm not that way with my kids. And the Bible says I'm evil and don't even know how to give, give, give good gifts to them. I mean, my kids ask for ice cream. I don't say, no, you're pastor's kids. That's not healthy. We're going to eat broccoli and be a model for the church. I mean, <laughs> who would do that kind of a thing, right? I mean, but yet we approach God like that, like he's trying to keep things from us. No, that's the enemy telling you he's trying to keep things from you. When you go the way God wants you to go, nothing is more satisfying and glorious than that. When I was five years old, I went to a Lutheran grade school and people would come in. They were missionaries they, from New Guinea and we didn't have cool PowerPoint back in the day. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It was like overhead slides, like with pictures of them eating iguana in New Guinea on the mission field. And even as a five-year-old, I knew, don't get too close to God because if you do, he's going to take you to New Guinea and you're going to eat iguana for the rest of your life. <laughs> Not doing that. Let me tell you something. The closer you go to God, since he's the one who created you and since he's the one that will fill you with his spirit, you will find yourself delighting in the Lord in ways that you never even thought possible. He's not holding out on you. He wants to put his favor in you and doing the will of the Lord, which is the word of God. There's nothing more satisfying than that. That's why Jesus says, pray like this. Is this worth praying like? I mean, this is why I get excited. I get excited to pray because I believe that we have a living God who wants to hear us, who wants to answer, who wants to be honored, and there's nothing more satisfying than for that will of God to be living in and through our lives. Amen? Amen. That's our God. That's who we serve. God wants you to take what he's shown you today, and he wants you to put it into practice in such a way that you will enjoy spending time with your Father through the person of Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, we give you praise, glory, and honor. Lord, for such a familiar passage of scripture. Lord, have your way in this church. Lord, I know after the service, I'll be up here. There'll be other elders up here. There's people wearing um, stickers that say pray. Lord, any one of these men and women would love to pray with people in this church. And Lord, let this be a church that seeks your face. And Lord, pour out your favor on this church for all it's worth. We give you all the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.